Thanks for listening, Unplugged Army. I'm Louis Unga, General Manager at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. We're proud to present Doug Franz Unplugged. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Four minutes. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Everything you need to know in sports that affects Maricopa County, the state of Arizona, and the world you get in four minutes. We start things off in downtown LA. Suns a loser, 106-103 at the Lakers. Got down big, turned the ball over 22 times, but fought back. And then at the end, they trap Austin Reeves. He loses the basketball. As it's rolling on the ground, LeBron James calls a timeout. There's just one catch. You're not allowed to call a timeout when you don't have the ball. But the referee said, you're LeBron James, and you're the Los Angeles Lakers, so we'll give you the timeout. Oh, boy, is everybody upset, except Kevin Durant. I couldn't really see the ball being out. I still thought he had it, but then I looked up to see the because I was a little bit That's not the game. It's one play. Katie chipped in. He had 31.7 boards. LeBron, fantastic. 31 points. 15 of them came in the fourth quarter alone. 11 assists, 8 rebounds. Now the Suns have an extra game added to the schedule that is the loser of the other semifinal for the Vegas tournament. So it's not on your schedule at home. Suns, Kings, downtown Phoenix coming up Friday night. For the first time in program history, GCU wanted to beat a top 25 team. They beat San Diego State 79-73. Ray Harrison had 23 points and eight boards. Up next, on the road to Virginia to take on Liberty. Football and hoops for ASU. Football. The Borgay donation. Trenton Borgay is donating $10,000 to the actual NIL fund from his own NIL money to get other people to donate to ASU NIL. Hoops tonight versus SMU at home, 8 o'clock. Very important to JG for coaches and players to take a long break. They worked on Monday. They're off all the way through next Monday now to get some rest. Coach, what comes after that? We get back here, we'll put all our effort and energy into San Francisco one day at a time. So minor practice on Monday, take off next Tuesday, and then get at it. San Francisco, not this weekend. They're at home against the 49ers on the 17th. Tough news for U of A fans, prices are about to skyrocket. Dr. Robbins painted a grim picture of athletics, saying the athletic department owes $87 million back to the academic school while ticket prices are going to rise 25%. They still have to sign Jed Fish to a contract extension, and the president has to meet with the Board of Regents coming up in a couple weeks to explain a $240 million miscalculation. I thought you were a college couple things with baseball the draft Cleveland won the draft lottery and the D-backs are now going to pick 29th and 31st in the first round and Dave Roberts admitted to having a two to three hour meeting with Shohei Otani why is that important because the agent and interpreter of Shohei Otani said don't talk about this meeting and Dave Roberts did NFL news the competition committee is looking into the tush push they might ban the play in which the quarterback runs a sneak while getting pushed by his own running backs from behind. And Roger Goodell says there'll be a new game on foreign soil in a different city, but didn't tell us where. And finally, 
Okay, this is one of the award winners that you will ever hear. You get arrested. And that kind of stinks, of course, whenever that happens. But what are you wearing? (laughs) A man in Clearwater, Florida got arrested while wearing a T-shirt that said, I just got out of jail. (laughs) Deputies tracked a suspect down who had just been released from jail about a month before in which he was accused of obstructing a burglary investigation because he was the one hiding in a car. And then after they arrested him, they found out that his fingerprints matched, well, him who had just left the county jail a month ago. Jackpot Unplugged Army, I feel like a true commander-in-chief to be able to give you such an unprecedented savings. Go to Unplugged at Whirlwind.com and check out the new membership club from Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Whirlwind Plus. Here's what you get. You sign up for a tee time anytime between now and five days from now, and you can save anywhere from a minimum of 30% up to 60% off plus 15% off at Civlik, the restaurant, and another 15% off in the pro shop. I'm telling you, you walk into the pro shop, get bowls, a shirt, and a hat. You walk over for happy hour with your wife. You might pay for your monthly membership right then and there. It's $34 a month, cancel anytime. Or if you want to save even more, because that equals out to a little more than $400, You can get it for only $299 a year. Whirlwind Plus at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Go to unpluggedatwhirlwind.com and feel the wind. I'm Janelle, General Manager of Bell's Nashville Kitchen, aka the Whiskey Wizard. Bell's isn't your typical country bar with mediocre bar food. We are a scratch kitchen with chef-inspired dishes in the only place you can get the best sandwich in all of Arizona, our Nashville hot chicken sandwich. Now, the drinks. I spend days infusing our own whiskey creations. Come in for Whiskey Wednesdays to learn about and drink our famous whiskey selection. We have live music most days and all weekend as part of our Honky Tonk Brunch. Bell's Nashville Kitchen on Main Street in Old Town Scottsdale. You found home, down home. I'm not good at gift giving. As a matter of fact, I'm terrible. But number one, I would never think to get somebody a t-shirt that says, I just got out of jail when they got out of jail. And then number two, why would you wear that t-shirt before you commit a crime? Just take the shirt off. (laughs) Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever it is that you've decided to make Doug Franz unplugged a part of your day, my family greatly appreciates it. My name is Doug Franz, and you have found the only podcast and TV show in the world totally devoted to the coverage of the four major sports franchises of one great American city that drops on your phone and your television every weekday morning. We also cover ASU, U of A, GCU, the Rattlers, the Rising, and the Merck. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. If you couldn't hear a word of what I just said, that's all on me. I I yell at Jeff Weir Production all the time. Get, get that music going. Get it going. And then I just bring so much energy, and I'm on the top of my chair and going crazy in the open. That That's why the music can be so loud. The energy is here, although I can't express it. I just watch my levels all day, Jeff Weir Production, because it's going to be nothing like normal. The ener- I'm promising you, the energy is here. But whatever I've got has become reasonably real uh, as far as the sickness is concerned. So don't use this mic, everybody. 
I uh, yesterday. It's so I, funny you say that, though, because I was sitting there during the open. I was like, okay, something's not right here. I'm sitting there looking at all my audio levels and everything. I was like, no, everything's right. Yeah. Like, oh, he's just he's just sick. Yeah, there's uh, yeah, there's there's no – if I drive the throat now, then it'll be a hey, uh, – it'll be Steve, you know, bring in the righty. Uh, you, you'll be – you're on 715 today. So uh, with that, it's like, hey, keep the, uh, keep the voice going strong. Because one of the dumbest phrases, but it's affecting me, post-nasal drip, which I don't understand why it's after nasal. I don't get the post part. But I, I have uh, a throat issue going on with the nasal drip. So that's driving me crazy. Um, so on air, if you want to do your own podcast, I'm a chloroseptic guy, if you're wondering. So I have this I have this close by. Yeah, I left here at about 930 in the morning yesterday. Went home and planned on working from home and instead went straight to bed and slept all the way until noon. Got a text from a source that I'll talk about later and then went back to sleep, slept for three hours, got a text from a different source on a different subject and then went back to sleep. But the second time I only slept till about four and then I got up, watched an old college basketball game that was on the DVR and then. I said, you know, I, I didn't realize how gorgeous it was outside. So I went outside. We have a television on the patio that I, I'd rather work outside. So I went outside to work and then decided, oh, you know what looks good. And I got in the hot tub. And when, man, when I'm sick, I love the hot tub. So I sat in the hot tub. I'm sure someone's going to email me or text me on this. Uh, I fell asleep in the hot tub. <laughs> yeah. Someone's going to tell me how dangerous that is. But hey, just sit up, you know. So I, uh, I fell asleep. Then got up. Jennifer brought home dinner, which was really nice of her. I watched the first half of GCU. And GCU took on San Diego State last night at home. Man, that place was electric. I don't know about this, though. The color analyst said, I've played in these arenas. I've never been here, but I've played in Cameron Indoor. I've played in Rupp Arena. This building matches those when it comes to noise and the electric atmosphere. And I, I don't... Listen, I've been to GCU. It is unbelievable what they've created there. I'm a big fan of what they've done. I'm still bitter that they fired Dan Marley, but that, that atmosphere is great. But come on, dude. I mean, that was, that was a little crazy to go that far. So I watched the first half of that game, and then I decided I'm done. Like, I'm just done. And it's like tip-off of Suns Lakers, and I, there's nothing left. So I go to bed at like 9 o'clock, which never happens for me. And I slept from 9 o'clock till 2.30 and then got up at 2.30, watched the second half of GCU, watched Suns Lakers, and then poor Jeff and Izzy, I'm, I'm emailing them in the middle of the game. Okay, I want this, I want this, I want this. So they're running around like crazy today. So I really appreciate the effort that, uh, that they put in. But what a weird weird day lots of sleep and that's why i'm here but at the same time man i don't know what i got now i do have to give a shout out to a hardcore member of the unplugged army not a general hasn't been to enough events to be a general however has spent enough money on on different sponsors to be considered a general it's this fine line you got to go to every event he hasn't gone to every event but i mean i mean he's right there he's he's right there so I'm golfing with him on Friday and actually sitting in the cart. So he had to have heard yesterday I wasn't feeling great. Today I realize I'm officially sick, which is what was weird. Because last night when I got up from the first nap, I was fine. Like, I felt fine. 
And then when I woke up again this morning, I was like, uh, I'm not fine. So that uh, Josh has got to be sitting there a nervous wreck about Friday. Josh, I will have plenty of orange juice and beer by Friday. I'll be fine. So don't you worry. Don't worry about getting sick. But uh, I got that this weekend, so I'm excited. And then, of course, Saturday, you know I'll be fine by Saturday. Please come out. Bell's Nashville Kitchen. I'll be there at 4 o'clock. It's the second annual Unplugged Army holiday event. Uh, General Tom doesn't know this, but he has brought fabulous prizes. Now, when I say he doesn't know this, he gave me a bunch of stuff to give away a long time ago, and we didn't do it. And so Jennifer actually took the time to wrap it up. So we have like different prizes to give away if you're there. So please stop by, give it, and uh, and and if you want to do a gift exchange, just show up with something. That's kind of funny. <laughs> That's really funny. I never thought of that. And we just hand out different cheese ball gifts. Make it cheesy, though. That, that's what makes it fun. The stuff General Tom has brought to me that I'll be giving out isn't cheesy, but I, I, that's hilarious if you bring cheesy gifts. So that's, uh, that's coming up Saturday. Again, fit it into your schedule. You're not doing anything Saturday? Come out for, the, uh, come out for dinner. If you are doing something Saturday afternoon or evening, then plan around us. Do go the afternoon thing that you've got going on and then stop by Bell's afterwards. Or if you're doing something that night, leave early, stop by Bell's, and then, and then let's go and go do what you've got to do. Even if it's a wife thing, go do that. Be a part of that. Be, be close to the family, but spend a little bit of time with your unplugged Army family, and I hope to see you Saturday. Uh, I'll be there again from 4 o'clock and at least till 10. And then who knows uh, how long after that. Uh, last thing before we get rolling. This was weird. I got this email. I'm just going to read. It's not Town Hall Tuesday, but I'm just going to read this email. I'm going to tell you how I'm going to handle it, but I would love for you to tell me if you agree with, with how I'm handling it. Doug, I recently saw your website and I listened to your podcast with Jeff Van Raphorst talking about ASU. I'm reaching out to you because I have created something that I can't describe in this email due to IP. And I believe IP, he means intellectual property. Um, But believe that you would be extremely interested in this. We are looking for an experienced media guy that knows the ins and outs of business, but but that's independent. I can explain a bit more with a phone call. We could also meet for a beer and a meal on me. You pick the place. Now, before I say anything, Jeff Weir Production, when you hear that, what do you think? It almost sounds like he's trying to offer you a job. You know, I didn't... You know, you might be right. I I didn't see that because since he says that I'm independent, I was almost wondering he's trying to sell me something. Possibly. that you know, you, but that's an interesting point. Stay on Doug Franz unplugged, but you know, start knowing about this. Here's what here's what grabbed me. You, you took the time to email me, but but then pulled the intellectual property thing. Well, if you trust me enough, I, like if you trust me enough that you want to bring me in or have me a part of something, then why are you afraid I'm going to take the idea and email it to other people and steal it from you? Or take the idea and steal it from you and do it myself. <laughs> that, that's like then don't trust me. That's kind of how I look at things. I'm a big looky in the face, judge you, trust you guy, and then wait to see if you do something. If you do something that shows to me you're not the person I thought you were, you are forgiven. You do it a second time, and I'm like, all right, okay. I'm not going to be a jerk. I'm going to pray for you. 
but I'm not putting myself out there again for you, you know, on after time number two. I'm just going to be cautious. So this this guy's probably different than me. He doesn't look at it the same as I do. That, that was just a weird thing. I trust you enough that I want to meet with you. I want you a part of this, but I'm not going to tell you why. So here's what I decided to do. I looked at it as beer. I mean, he wrote the word beer in it, so I'm happy. But as a West Side guy, since you're this vague, you've got to come to me. And there's two places on the West Side that I frequent, Saddle Mountain Brewery and Red's Bar and Grill are the two places that I really like. Now, last night for dinner, Jennifer had takeout uh, Augie's because we called, I probably shouldn't say this kind of rude, but we called, I called Saddle Mountain Brew and I, and I got the machine at 5.15 in the evening. Got the machine. So I said, well, that can't be normal. So I left a message. Hey, I wanted a takeout order, but I'll call back. And I called back like three minutes later and I got the machine again. And then I, I didn't mean to be a jerk, but I just said, okay, I'll call Augie's. I like Augie's. And, and that's, a, that's another bar right next to them. <laughs> and no, they're not partners. They don't own it. So that was kind of funny. It was like, hey, I tried. Okay. And then I went, I went to Augie's. So John, free plug for you and Augie's. Yes, I know bar owners. Um, when you spend as much money as I do in bars, you then get to know bar owners. It's kind of like having a season ticket kind of deal. Might be a bad thing that waitresses across the city know my own daughter's names, maybe. But hey, I like beer. So that's what it is. So I'm going to tell the guy, yeah, let's meet. But just, you know, quick beer or two at happy hour. And then let's move on after that. Just simply because that was kind of weird. However, I'll, I'll report back to you and tell you whether it was a good meeting. If it's truly, you know, great personal information and a brilliant idea and i understand more about why he's saying intellectual property i admit i wouldn't out him because he trusted me to come to me with it but i just thought that was weird i didn't know if anybody else thought that was weird and i i'd like to know if you think i'm i'm handling it well like sure we'll go to a public place we'll have a beer but not a full lunch not a full meal and i'm a little busy so i don't want to drive all the way somewhere else for something like this when I don't really know what I'm getting into. Now, if he would have told me more, oh, he would have earned Bell's National Kitchen. He would have earned 100 Mile Brewery, uh, Brewing Company. He would have earned Rosati's. I, you know, I would have went, I would have taken him to the premier places of the Valley for the Unplugged Army. My family, we do that because we don't go to any expensive restaurants until vacation. And then on vacation, we consider expensive restaurants, different cities across America, part of the vacation experience. And then we go like this if we like it. Just one of those cheesy little family. I don't know. I don't know if you have your little signals and things that you do with your family. But it's kind of funny that maybe that's a little unfair to our local economy. We're a total sports bar. What do you have on tap restaurant type of family when it's Phoenix related? And then when we're out of Phoenix... Uh, rarely do we go to someplace like that. It's like, I'm, I'm there all the time at home. Let's go experience something. Probably could save a lot of money and go on better vacations if we didn't. But I, I don't know. I consider that part of vacation. All right. Uh, I hope I'm not boring. When I'm sick, I just kind of ramble. Uh, sound credits today. House of Highlights and NBA Action are YouTube channels that help us find stuff. But for the most part, we find stuff from Dwayne Rankin of the Arizona Republic. So we've got some sun sound from him. And uh, then we have clips uh, that are from either Arizona's family or TNT. I don't know which. Go Bobcats, Ali LaForce, by the way, if you're watching the TNT broadcast. And uh, we got some uh, Arizona Cardinals from azcardinals.com. And I think that's it. Am I right? I think you're right. Let's roll. Doug's Big One. 
The Suns turned the ball over 22 times. They did not lose this game because of referees. They did not lose this game because of referees. Let's be very clear. They did not lose this game because of the officiating. But I I am so appalled that Adam Silver thinks this is acceptable. I, I just... You're a fraud. I mean, there's no other way to put it. And I feel like such a jerk saying that. But you're the same commissioner that looked at everything Robert Sarver did and said, you know what, that's a year. That's all it is. That's just a year. And then I watch the officiating of your league time and time again, and you do nothing about it. And I know, granted, you're not watching Doug Franz Unplugged, but I know if this ever got back to you, you would flip out. You'd call me disingenuous. You would try to argue all of these other things that you think you're doing and all of these people you think you're paying to fix it. And I just don't understand why nobody sits there in a room and says, wow, we're spending all of this money and we're not getting the results. Either you're hiring terrible people at their jobs or you're training them to be terrible. And I, it flabbergasts me you can't get this right. Now, we do have a problem in our country, and I want to be fair to everybody. If you are a junior high referee, a youth referee, a high school referee, I'm not going to put you up there with firefighters, police officers, first responders, and, and military, okay? That's, that's a separate branch. But on the next level of bravery after that, thank you. The amount of crap you guys deal with, go through it anyway. And I'm one of the people as a youth coach yelled at refs from time to time. And as a high school parent yelled at refs at time to time. When they were clueless and not hustling, I was the loudmouth guy in the stands. I totally admit it. But for the ones that work hard, try hard, and, and they're just helping out, man, God bless you guys. Thank you. And I realize that hurts to get good referees to come through the pipeline when fans make them miserable as high school referees. Where's the NBA going to pull from? But with the amount of money they spend on referees, how do you not have this fix? Guys don't even know the rules. You could not watch the last minute of the game last night and think these officials actually know the rules of the game. And when, when you don't know the rules... The only th- there's only two choices. It's either rigged or you're a bunch of ignorant fools. And I don't understand why somebody in the NBA office doesn't say, I don't like our integrity be- to be attacked or our work ethic. Let's do something. And I don't mean by me. I don't even mean by more important people than me. I mean to watch it and not get it fixed. Do people make mistakes? Oh, my gosh. Absolutely, they make mistakes. But let's watch this first play from last night. And I'm going to have you watch it, and then I'll explain the rule. And then after I explain the rule, show me how this occurred. All right? Here we go. James shows defense clean. Hooker. Hooker's having words with, with, with Reddish. Frank Vogels can't believe they're not even going to take a look at it. This is the second time that Booker's been hit in the head. I mean, look at this. Okay, that's play one. There's two Cam Reddish plays to talk about. That's play one, getting hit in the head. And here's what my beef is. Whenever there's a play like that, you're allowed to go to the monitor. Now, in my way of basketball, that's not flagrant. All right? The way I played the game a long time ago that's not flagrant 
Might be a little scuffle on the, uh, you know, in the park over it, but it's not a real flagrant foul. But in the wussification of America of today and the way they call flagrant fouls for any contact to the head, that's annoying. But then you don't even go to the monitor, okay? Then, and don't, don't play anything yet, uh, Jeff Weir Production. Then with about 45 seconds left, Suns get a rebound. Booker's got it. He gets the outlet. He didn't get the rebound, but he gets the outlet. And right before he gets to midcourt, he spots Kevin Durant open. As he's getting ready to pass it to Kevin Durant, Cam Reddish wraps his arm around Booker's arm, takes his left arm and grabs him by the waist and pulls him back. Booker still completes the pass. KD catches it layup. Referees call a foul on Cam Reddish and stop the play. Here's why this is so unbelievably embarrassing. After years of players taking a foul in the backcourt to stop a fast break, the NBA invented a rule last year, which is called the take foul. So whenever you foul somebody clearly on purpose to stop a break, you get one free throw and you get the ball. Because why should the team lose the athleticism of, of a fast break? It creates boring basketball when basketball is supposed to be entertainment. And you're stopping it because you don't lose the ball. You still have a chance to get a point, and you then get to inbounds the ball. That's the rule. You also are allowed to review the play. So Cam Reddish commits this foul, and the officials call the foul and don't review it for a take foul, and all the Suns get is they get to take the ball out of bounds. This is why this is so abhorrent, is because you're allowed to review a take foul. So none of the referees wanted to review it. Why? Were you afraid of what you were going to find? I do believe the NBA draft lottery is rigged. I do believe officials in postseason games make calls that benefit stars and bigger teams. If you don't think that happens, I challenge you to watch the fourth quarter of Kings and Lakers from about 20 years ago. Watch that fourth quarter and tell me that it's not rigged. Ask Rick Adelman, the coach of the Kings at the time. Tell me it's not rigged, okay? You can't watch that game and not come away and saying, wow, there's a, there's a disingenuous situation going on here. I believe that. I don't believe a regular season game for an in-season tournament is rigged to get the Lakers in. At least I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to believe that. And then I see officiating like that. It's bad enough that they blew the call. They didn't even review it. It's almost as if it would have been better for the Suns if they don't even call it. I mean, Booker got rid of the ball. KD gets the layup. You would have saved about 10 seconds on the clock and only been down by one. If you correctly call the foul, Suns hit the free throw. They're now down by two. I don't know what would have happened on the inbounds, but they scored quickly after the inbounds play in which they ran after the Cam Reddish take foul that wasn't called. When you hear what I'm, I'm explaining, the problem is they didn't even review something that's reviewable. And that's when I have to go, okay, you saw the foul, called it in a sense to the detriment of the Suns because they would have had a layup, but then consciously decided I don't need to review it in a league that reviews everything. Again, either rigged or an ignorant fool. 
There is no middle ground on this because you've already made the call. I'm not arguing somebody missed a call. I'm arguing you made the call but didn't want to go see how egregious the foul was when you review everything else. So now we've got two bad examples of last night's game. Okay, here's the third one that has everybody up in arms. That's the big controversy of last night's game. So Suns-Lakers... And then Lakers have the ball. They're down by three. It's 106-103. Lakers are trying to bring it up. Suns get a trap. We're going to watch this play once, and then I'm going to explain it to you, and we'll watch it again. Here's the big controversial play with the trap from Kevin Book, uh, Kevin Durant, and or excuse me, the trap from Devin Booker, and then the timeout from LeBron James. Passes in for Reeves. Booker is playing with those five fouls. So is Durant. What are they calling here? A timeout. In case you don't know the rules of basketball, as soon as I explain this to you, you're going to go, oh, yeah, I've noticed that. Do you remember that time somebody's dribbling down on a fast break and the defense calls timeout to stop them from the fast break? Actually, you don't remember that. It's not allowed. If you are on defense or there's a loose ball, you can't call timeout. You can only call timeout when you are in possession of the basketball. If you're, in posse- if you're not in possession of the basketball, you can't call a timeout. So when we watch this play again, as Austin Reeves dribbles into the trap, immediately, the split second, you see him mishandle the ball around his hip. Not when it's rolling on the ground. When it's loose around his hip and behind him. Put your eyes up to the top of the screen and look at LeBron James coming over to the referee. Okay, here you go. James tosses in for Reeves. Booker is playing. It's loose. And then LeBron turns and calls the timeout. What are they calling here? A timeout. This one bothers me for a different reason i'm not challenging somebody's integrity because i can actually see why you'd miss that call you're the trail official you don't realize the ball is loose because it's kind of behind austin reeves you see lebron call timeout you blow the whistle the ball rolls away you realize you screwed screwed up that call is not reviewable i think that's a bad rule not a bad call those are two different things to me A bad call is you're the referee and you're either unfocused, not good at your job, or you just screwed up. One of the three, sometimes more than that. But bad calls happen. Not the one I talked about previously because you didn't want to review it. So that doesn't just happen. This one, bad calls happen. But NBA, what a dumb rule that it's not reviewable on whether or not a team is in possession of the ball when they call timeout. I mean, that's really easy to review. You sit there and you have one camera, and I'm sure there's a camera on LeBron James all the time. You look and see how much time is left in the game when LeBron turns to the ref and goes like this. And whatever time stamp that is, let's say it's five seconds left, 5.0, you then look at the trap on Austin Reeves, see when he loses control of the ball, and look at the clock. Ah, he lost control of the ball at 5.4. LeBron turned and called timeout at 5.0. That means we awarded a timeout when it wasn't a timeout. Now, what stinks, and the reason why we can't go ballistic, even if that was reviewable, with a loose ball, they wouldn't have given the ball to the Suns. 
they would have had a jump ball in the middle. And let's face it, are you really going to win a jump ball at about five seconds left, get the outlet, and get up a shot? And I, I don't think you're going to in that amount of time. I think that's going to be really tough. So what ends up happening is Lakers get to inbound after the timeout. Immediate foul on Anthony Davis. Davis only makes one of two. Uh, they are able to get the ball to book on the rebound after the second shot, which was the missed free throw. They get it to KD. He's about three feet behind the three-point line, pulls up and air bowls a three. I, it's easy to criticize and say, KD, you still had about a second left, second and a half left when you shot it. You could have gotten one more sidestep and gotten a better look. But who am I to say, Kevin Durant, you, you know, I mean, come on. When, when KD thinks this is the time to pull up, KD pulls up. So that's total hindsight on my part. And what do I know? Maybe somebody would have been able to rotate over in time if KD moves over for a, a sidestep three. Maybe he doesn't like that type of shot as much and he likes where he was better. That, that's, that's not an argumentable point. I just wanted you to see the late timeout because that's what the nation is talking about. It was a bad call, but I'm not losing my mind over it because I can see how that would happen. I'm upset that the league didn't have the foresight to make it a better rule that it's reviewable. It's a dumb rule that that falls into the category of unreviewable. What no one is talking about is the take foul at 41 seconds left in the game from Cam Reddish on Devin Booker that is just awful. I mean, it's that's embarrassing that you not only missed the call and didn't call it a take foul in the beginning – but where I actually wonder, hey, is this thing rigged, is when you didn't review it. That's a conscious decision. We're not going to review a reviewable play. Let's hurry up and just get the ball inbounded. What are you afraid of seeing? Why wouldn't you review that? So that's the game itself from last night. Now, again, I told you right from the beginning of Doug's big one. The Suns lost this game, not the refs. The refs blew the last 45 seconds. The Suns committed 22 turnovers. The Lakers only committed 10. The Suns played really good defense for about 20 seconds of every shot clock. Got killed on the offensive glass in this game. And then held the Lakers to 38% shooting. Which is really mind-boggling. If, if you watch the game, I don't even understand how that was possible. Because they turned the ball over so often, you had a lot of layups from the Lakers. And you had a lot of offensive rebound and, sticks ba- and stick backs from the Lakers. Their second chance points were out of this world. Yet all other times the defense was pretty lights out. Yet you'd never know it because of how bad the turnovers were. Now, Kevin Durant, being the person that he is, really impressed with, with what he said. So if you could give me, I'm going to go Jeff Weir production, KD1, book one, and then back to the other two KD pieces of sound. Here is Kevin Durant when asked about the officiating and namely the last 45 seconds. I couldn't really see the ball being out. I, I still thought he had it, but then I looked at the replay and it was out a little bit. But that's not the game. That's one play. It's a 48-minute game. I don't like complaining about calls. You know what I'm saying? So sometimes the ref ain't gonna get it right all the time. Sometimes it's on us to play through all of that stuff and not worry about putting the game in the ref hands. So um, I didn't get to see the play as it was happening, but the replay, I mean, it is what it is. But we can't put ourselves in that position. 
Just so you know, that was not a Jeff Weir production issue. We are taking that sound from Dwayne Rankin of the Arizona Republic, and his phone doesn't have an actual microphone, so you don't get that direct sound. So you're also hearing in the background noises of players throwing stuff in their locker, and you're hearing people asking players other questions. So that's in the background noise, nothing we could do about it. But I wanted you to hear it straight from Kevin Durant. If it was a little difficult to make out that audio, he's explaining, listen, we, we, it's not about the refs. It's about us. We have to be better in those situations. We can't put ourselves in a position where we're relying on refs to make calls. I respect that so much. And one of the other reasons why I do is let people like me in the media go off on the bad officiating. You as a player in the locker room, it's just not nothing's going to happen. It doesn't do you any good. Now, this was weird. I... I, I like Dwayne Rankin a lot. I think he asks the tough questions. I think he does it in a fair way. And he asked, he simply asked Booker about his strip of the ball, the loose ball rolling away, and what he saw in that situation. And Booker immediately was worried that Dwayne's trying to get him fined. Scramble doing. I know what you're trying to do. Um, the whole world seen it. I just got off social media and other players around the league seen it. So um, it is what it is. You know, refs miss calls sometimes, but you know when they're a bit that obvious, you know, it, it's tough. He says, "I know what you're trying to do, Dwayne." <laughs> well, I don't think he is. It's a legitimate question. What did you see? And then he says, I just got off of social media. I see what the rest of the league is saying, the other players. So Booker knows, everybody knows that that was a bad call by the ref. And again, it was a bad call, but humans make mistakes in that sense. Because that's a hard call for the ref. You've got LeBron James screaming in your ear, timeout, timeout. And you just looked at the play and saw that Austin Reeves had the ball. You look at LeBron who's calling the timeout. And before you can signal timeout, Austin Reeves doesn't have the ball anymore. That's That's got to be reviewable. And that's on the NBA, not on the referee. Now... Here's one thing that the Lakers are arguing. I, I want to throw you a curveball here if you could, um, uh, Jeff Weir Production. Will you replay the second highlight, the time, the non-timeout uh, highlight, or the timeout highlight with LeBron James and Booker and the ball rolling away? And this time, I want you to watch the thigh of Devin Booker and then watch Austin Reeves kind of get knocked off uh, out of balance a little bit. Let's watch this play again and watch this part right here. And uh, go ahead and keep my mic up if you would. Here it comes. Boom, right there. See that little hip chuck and then how Austin falls over? So Austin is complaining. You can go ahead and end it early. Uh, That was very good, Jeff. Um, Austin is complaining in the postgame pressure that he was fouled. And that foul of the little hip bump from Devin Booker wasn't called. I look at that. And I do think that that's natural contact that's not a big deal. I like that it wasn't called, but I have no room to argue if they did call it. It did look like a legitimate bump. And if you lose your balance or you travel because of a bump, that's a foul. I just, I want basketball to kind of be played. But that's why I'm so mad about the Cam Reddish foul. I just want it to be played. If you want to say don't call that because Booker got away from the foul so quick and the Suns immediately scored a layup on that very pass that happened while the foul was happening, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with calling it a take foul. 
It takes an ignorant fool to call the foul and not then call it a take foul. That's where I got bent out of shape about the play previously with 45 seconds. So on that one, the Lakers are saying, hey, he got fouled anyway, so it's all fair. I don't look at this as complaining like the sun should have won. My topic is there's three teams on the floor, the refs, the Lakers, and the Suns. And in the last minute of that game, those referees were so poor at either being trained or doing their job. Why are they not being said, you know what, let's hold back for a week. Let's put you guys back in the G League. Let's have a little bit of a training session this week. You'll skip a game check. You'll come into work. We'll watch games together. We'll go over plays, make you better, and then we'll put you back into the rotation next week. I don't understand how that doesn't happen. And if the NBA wants to act like, oh, it happens, then why aren't you announcing it? Why are you afraid of NBA referee rankings? Why, if we have winners and losers in the game, why can't fans know your ranking of officials? So all of us hate Scott Foster that watches games, okay? Maybe he's the most fantastic referee in the world, and if you actually ranked and showed the correct calls, we would learn something. Educate the fan base. But that was... Man, was that bad. Okay, KD number two, I like a lot. And this is further conversation about the officiating and about the slow start to the game. And listen to Kevin Durant quickly move off of officiating and look squarely at himself. That's just the part of the game, man. You might not get every call right, just like we're not going to get every shot right. We're not going to make every decision right. So we can't rely on that. It's not the reason we lost the game. Thank you, guys. They shot probably 20 more shots than us. We had like 22 turnovers. That's the game. That's what we should be talking about. And I can't have five turnovers and only seven rebounds, four six. Like, I got I to be better. Like, no, I got to just be better. You can't put that on the rail. You didn't quite hear it. He said, I can't have five turnovers. We can't have 22 turnovers. I've got to have more than seven rebounds. So this guy has 31.7 boards. And he wants to talk about the negatives of his game, saying refs don't get everything right. People aren't perfect. I've got to play better. That, that show of leadership just to me is so fantastic. It's exactly what we need. Because in the years before Kevin Durant, I think a lot of times the Suns were a little bit mentally weak when it came to bad officiating. And I can't imagine what it's like to put that much time and effort and energy into your job physically and mentally. You're on the clock every second of your life and your whole success or failure is determined by a 48-minute portion of your life every 48 hours, okay? That's a very strange way to live. They're well compensated, but that's a very strange way to live. And then have officials not do their job correctly, and that's why you're judged as a loser. I'm not going to act like that's easy. But you have to have a culture that says overcome it anyway. And the Suns culture of the past 10 years under Robert Sarver, and even under Monty Williams, was always, it's not fair, we're not getting calls. And that permeates everybody and builds excuses and here's kevin durant saying it doesn't matter we're the ones that turned the ball over 22 times when i look at the 22 turnovers i saw one where i thought it should be a foul i'll look at the ref on 21 turnovers in an nba game is ridiculously bad that's why they lost 
So don't take anything I said today as an excuse or trying to take away the Lakers' win and act like the refs won the game for the Lakers. No, they didn't. Lakers beat the Suns because they came out ready to play at the beginning of the game. They closed quarters a lot better other than the third quarter than the Suns did, and they deserved that win. They deserved the, the trip to Vegas. Totally get it. But NBA... If you're not doing anything again, once again, about the end of last night's game, it does bring up the question, which one? Are you rigged or are you ignorant? Either one, Commissioner Silver, either one. You choose which one, but you showed us your true colors once again last night. Last one from KD that I I really like is kind of what I brought up before. It's so strange if you watch that game because at the end of each quarter, it seemed like the Lakers all of a sudden out of nowhere got two or three layups. The offensive rebounding for the Lakers was incredibly good all night long. Terrible rebounding on the part of the Suns all night long. And all the turnovers, usually you would shoot about 55%. When you own the offensive glass and you're creating live ball turnovers, that's, that's a recipe for disaster for the other team's defense because they can't stop open layups. And yet, the Suns held them to 38% shooting. Under 40% shooting the whole game. Great defense. But they got 20 more shots up than us. We're going to lose every time. No matter who's on the court. No matter best team in the league. The, the youngest team in the league. Worst team in the league. We give up 22 shots. More shots than, them, than us. And 22 turnovers. We lose. Just thought I saw a lot of leadership there. Um. One thing that bothers me, and maybe the Lakers did do this and I don't know about it, in COVID time, every team had to do Zoom press conferences. So all media across the world could join in to different press conferences on either side. Now, after COVID, it became a team decision. Does the team, does the home team want to do that? Which is, there's a little bit of an expense to it. The Suns said yes. I admit I had a couple conversations with them and begged them. I don't know if they cared what I thought, but they do Zoom press conferences in order to allow international media and local media like me that can't get to the game to be able to still be a part of it, cover it, use the sound. Lakers, you've got enough money. Why isn't there a link to be able to watch that? That's that's your bad, and that's cheap, and I you're just being lazy when you do that and I don't like that at all so now the Suns are oh one more point on the game Uh, I admit if DeAndre Ayton would have played in this game I would be going off on DA because again it's you're the number one pick in the draft and you played slow lazy and not good basketball once again got in foul trouble I would be going off because this is when the Suns needed you I don't put the same pressures on Nurkic because he's not an uncompetitive number one pick overall. And clearly, when you look at how ridiculous DeAndre Ayton is playing once again for Portland, when supposedly it was his coming out party, and supposedly everybody used to say, well, the Suns don't run any plays for him, so that's why he doesn't score a lot. Okay. Having said that, Nurkic was awful in this game. Nurkic's defense on Anthony Davis has a lot to do with why the Suns lost. He has a little bit to do with some of the turnovers. He had some too, but Nurkic was bad. Nurkic is a guy that they don't need him to be the leading scorer. They don't even need him to be the leading rebounder. But what they need is to make sure the other guy 
isn't the leading rebounder, that the other center doesn't have a dominant game. His role, number one, stop the other center. Role number two is to be that distributor so they can run some plays uh, through him, not for him, but through him. He was bad, and that's not a championship team if Nurkic is going to play that bad. Doesn't mean he has to be great. Doesn't even mean he has to be the best center on the floor, but he just needs to play a lot better than that. And you, you, I got to take a second and, uh, and call him out for his play. That does it for Suns. Their next game is now Friday night. It's on a schedule if you look it up online, but if you maybe wrote down the schedule earlier or you looked at the schedule last week, that game wasn't there. The way the schedule works is this week people got their games scheduled for them because nobody in the NBA offices knew whether or not you were going to be going to Vegas or whether you're going to be in the end season tournament. So the way the schedule worked is nobody had games this week until they saw, okay, who can we fit where to play who because of the tournament? Well, with the loss, both the Kings and the Suns lost in their games. So now the Suns play the Kings at home Friday night. So the winners of the Western conference go to vegas for the semifinals the two losers of the quarterfinals then go the opposite way of uh, of whether or not they played at home or not so since this game was on the road for the suns and the kings were at home now the suns get the extra home game to be able to have their even games of 41 i don't know if you care about scheduling but i thought you might want to know how that works little details like that matter to me and i really don't know why all right coming up next we got a lot of winter meeting stuff to talk about. College sports embarrasses itself once again. They don't have any idea what they're doing. And we've got some Cardinals to talk about next. Thanks for watching. My name's Doug Franz. Izzy works on the show. He's the host of iOS from 10 to noon every weekday here on WTSMTV.com. And Jeff Weir Production is here all morning and all day to run WTSMTV.com. So it's the three of us talking to you every morning. Thanks for being a part of Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on WTSMTV.com. Here is Sue Riggler on starting 100 Mile Brewing Company. The name 100 Mile Brewing Company, it's where you keep your beer freshest from production. So we have a 10 barrel brewing system and I don't want the beer to travel any more than a radius of 100 miles outside of where we produce it here in Tempe, Arizona. And I'm also a runner. I've been running 45 years, so it, 100 Miles has a play on, on that as well. The food, we have a full restaurant. It's elevated food for a brewery, and a local media has named us as the top 10 restaurants, places to eat in Tempe, Arizona. I've heard more than once from people that they say they dream about our burgers. So that's kind of a, I wouldn't dream about a burger, but okay. So if you are in the unplugged army, we need to be friends. There's thousands and thousands of you that I cannot wait to meet. So this is your spot. Doug's favorite beer. He likes a lot of them, but the favorite one is the A Mountain Amber Ale. So why don't you all come in? I invite you in. Ask for Sue. Ask for Todd. And we'll take really good care of you. So in the Franz household, we have an air conditioning unit, an air scrubber, a reverse osmosis system, and a tankless water heater all purchased from Parker & Sons. Why? Well, number one, because we trust them. 
We got to know Parker and Sons about six months into living in Phoenix, and they've showed up on time, got it right the first time, and treated us great every single time. So why would we go anywhere else? The other thing I like is some of the products have even saved us money. The reverse osmosis system gives us bottle quality water from a tap, and then the tankless water heater, I can't even imagine how much money it has saved us. We never run out of hot water, even on holidays when people are coming in to visit. And it doesn't heat up water and then just let it sit in a tank. It only heats it up as we use it. So we only use the electricity when we need it. And our air scrubber takes allergens and bacteria out of the air, which has just been a dream for my wife and my youngest daughter, who have some pretty heavy allergies. Call 6022-REPAIR to learn about these products. That's 602, the number two, that R-E-P-A-I-R for Parker & Sons. Rosati Sports Pub in Chandler. It's on Ray and McQueen. Sounds like a sports bar. What's the difference? You walk in and they actually have games on TV with the sound on. How many times do you walk into a supposed sports bar and they've got loud music on or somebody playing live or some kind of trivia game going on and you're there to watch the game? If you're like me, a simple guy, give me my pizza, give me my wings, give me my cold beer and make sure I can hear the Suns and D-backs, then you want Rosati Sports Pub at Chandler. All members of the Unplugged Army, welcome. Rosati Sports Pub, give me the game. you're here but my laptop's about ready to die <laughs> oh well that's no bueno yeah it was so that, that had to be taken care of um jeff we production i because of um my issues for those of you who don't know I, i'm not feeling great um because of my issues i went home yesterday went to bed didn't get up until noon and then didn't get up until three and then didn't get up until uh about four or so so on tuesdays i enjoy watching organic football show and watching hanging with coop i didn't get a chance to watch either of them so i'll watch them this week on wtsmtv.com but since i didn't experience how, how did the shows go i thought uh oh gosh i forgot the name of the show I just blanked uh, organic football show <laughs> no hanging with, hey, coop. hanging with coop or hanging with coop it's probably their best show they've had oh that's so awesome far. so it went really well they had a uh uh, Sacramento Kings uh, announcer. Okay. Uh, her name is Katie Christensen. Oh, she's good. Yeah. 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 She she was really good. Yeah. And uh, had her on, and it just went well. Yeah. The whole show went well. Oh, that's awesome. And as Jeff was leaving yesterday, he had mentioned, he said, I think this was our best show. So they thought it went well, too. So. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Th- it there's was a lot um, of fun. One of the storylines that, that really bother me is I'll, I probably shouldn't bring this up because somebody's going to say I'm a horribly sexist and I'm a terrible person, blah, blah, blah. And I'll say, fine, you know, here's who I am. Deal with it. Um, about two or three years ago, there's a woman named Beth Mowens who did play-by-play of a Raiders Monday night football game. So she's on Monday night football doing the game. Twitter blew up because so many people didn't like hearing a female doing – sports broadcasting of football and they went crazy and other people said i don't have a problem with a woman doing it i just don't want her to be the one that does it and some guy some member of the media and i can't remember who it was tweeted out that you are hiding as like a sexist jerk or whatever if you're trying to say you don't like her voice and that's why you don't like her. And I, I'll never forget that because I thought that was the most ridiculous, elitist thing I've ever heard. 
that because she's a woman, we're not allowed to judge her voice. I don't want Gilbert Gottfried doing play-by-play of a game. I could care less about your gender identity, your current gender, your, your sex, anything. It's just, do I want to listen to you do a game? And when I hear Beth Mowen, sorry, Beth, I'm sure you're a nice person. But when as soon as I hear her voice, boom, I put it on mute immediately. I'm still watching the game, but I'm muting that. That voice is just horrific to me. I don't want to hear it. And that is not sexist. And I don't understand why people try to make that out to be sexist. The woman that you're talking about with the Sacramento Kings, if you ever watch NBA TV, rarely are there national broadcasters calling the game on NBA TV. A lot of times they just use the local feed and that's how we get extra games. So I only know of two. If there's a lot more of them, I'm sorry. Oh, the play-by-play woman for the Bucks. So the Bucks have a female play-by-play guy. The uh, Kings and Brooklyn Nets have female color analysts. All three, uh, the Bucks play-by-play person's okay. Not great, but okay. But no issues with voice. I'm telling you, the woman from the Kings and the woman from the Nets, and I'm sorry I don't know their name, but I wasn't prepared to talk about this, they are fantastic. I mean, they are fantastic broadcasters. They know the game. They have fun when they should have fun. They're serious when they should be serious. They have great insight. They do their homework. They are really good at their jobs. And then there's other uh, color analysts. If you watched uh, Fox's coverage of of World Cup, Kendra D. St. Aubin has a fantastic voice and is very knowledgeable. And then the sideline reporter on last night's national game, I've never heard Allie LaForce actually do play-by-play or color, but she was a point guard in college. So it's not like she doesn't know the game. And I can't remember where she went to school, Allie LaForce, but I'm sure it's the greatest university anybody's ever created in the history of mankind. Oh, wait, I remember. She went to the first Ohio University. <laughs> I had to get that in. But that, that I'm so glad. I, got, I can't wait to go back and watch that show. I, I think that woman is fantastic at her job. And uh, every time I watch a Kings game, I'm always thinking, man, she's good. Uh, okay, so there's that. That was just off the, off the cuff. I, I, it'll be interesting to see Town Hall Tuesday next week whether you think I'm a terrible person because there's one female broadcaster I don't like and I just went through six of them that I do uh, like a lot and have no problem when they're doing a game. I just want people to be judged by the content of their character when we're talking about the human being and we're talking about them in a sports context, judging by the same plane, judging by the same rules no matter who you are. Just be fair. And that's why I say that about Beth Mowens. And like I said, everyone in the business, I don't know her, everyone in the business says she's a wonderful person. Great. Glad you're a wonderful person. And you're probably actually a good broadcaster if we're just judging you by what you say and your preparation. But I'm sorry that with that voice, can't take it. There's plenty of people that hate my voice. All right, I got to deal with it. It was so funny how many times people came up to me and said, oh, I would listen to you, but I just can't stand Wolf's voice. Well, that is so untrue because you know how many people just listen because they're in, am- they're in amazement that that voice can be that weird. <laughs> and the funniest thing about Wolf's voice is he claims he used to speak, have a normal voice until he got hit in the throat in a game in West Virginia. And he said that changed his voice. So I believed that for like seven years because he believed it. And then we interviewed his brother one time, his older brother, Craig. His older brother, Craig, sounds exactly like he does. And then I talked to his younger brother, Dale, and his younger brother sounds exactly like he does. I'm like, okay, this little sham that you think about getting hit in the neck, that's dumb. Your whole family sounds like this.
It's kind of entertaining to me. Let's speaking of Wolf, let's get to Cardinals. Uh, this is interesting. I can't figure out why this happened. Cardinals had a press conference on Monday. I didn't know if they did because I figured, by the way, the Cardinals don't tell me when there's press conferences because they don't want me there. And I didn't know they were going to do one. Every team needs to do one on a Monday after a game, or so I thought that was the rule. However, if you have a bye week coming up, then I thought you didn't have to do it. And I was clearly wrong. They did the Jonathan Gannon press conference on Monday. But they didn't post it Monday afternoon, and they didn't post it Monday night, and they didn't post it early Tuesday morning, which is very strange. And then, come Tuesday afternoon, suddenly there's the Monday press conference. So we didn't talk about this yesterday, and I want to get to it, but I I cannot figure out why they didn't do that. Because we both know their relationship with me, and they don't want me to have access to anything, and I get it. But they're not going to think about me when it comes to posting a press conference. I mean, I'm too small for them to care yet. I still believe in the Unplugged Army and all of us here at WTSMTV.com that the day might come where we're so big that they have to deal with us. But I admit we're not there yet. So that's why they can ignore us and hope we go away. Well, that still isn't a reason to not post a presser. That was just really strange. But now that we have it, Uh, I like the way Jonathan Gannon answered this question a lot. He was asked a question from someone from a uh, radio station called KMVP. And it said, would you say that that game against the Steelers was your most complete game? Mm, I don't know, Tyler. (laughs) I don't think about it like that. We did enough all three phases to win a game. You know, truthfully, so always some things we came up, came in today. Things we got to get cleaned up. Things we did well. Some things we did well. Why we won the game. Um, some things that we got to make sure we're trying to improve on. The reason why. Oh, sorry, my headphones started working. Oh, and then they just went out. <laughs> I got so excited. I thought I found the short. And I thought maybe if I just hold it right there, it'll work. And all of a sudden, to have if you're not a sound guy, you don't know this, but hearing audio in only one ear is the biggest headache in the world. It just drives you nuts. But if I don't wear headphones, I can't hear a thing that Jeff Weir Production says, and I can't hear anything that the uh, um, uh, any of the audio from the sound that we play. So my other option is to get what's called an IFB, which I have back here, and I could wear that, but that only goes into one ear. And I don't know why TV people deal with that. They want to look pretty, so they don't want to wear big headphones. But if I was ever on like normal network television, I would go with the double IFB so I can hear in both ears. That's just weird to me to not be able to hear. But anyway, the reason why I like that so much is a coach, a true coach, works so hard on the game plan going into the game works so hard on the film study after it to coach his own coaches and to coach the players on the mistakes so the mistakes are eliminated. And then it's almost like you forget about the game and you're on to the next game. Here we go. Then you review all the games when the season's over. If he would have said, yes, this is our most complete game, there's nothing wrong with that. But to me, it shows a high level of compartmentalization and a high level of focus of, I can't tell you whether this was our most complete game because I don't remember, I don't think about how did all the other games go because it's over. I've already made those corrections. We've moved on. We're trying to get better. And that's how the best coaches think. 
And if he would have just said that out of habit, I wouldn't have respected it that much. But because he had that pause in there and he's thinking about it, well, I, I don't know, Tyler. I don't, I don't think like that. It, it shows you that he was giving you an honest answer, but his brain just doesn't say, well, this is what we did against Dallas correctly. You know what? We had a loss here, but we played pretty complete game. We just weren't as good. He, you know, he's like, nah, here's what we did right. I, I really like that. Uh, it just shows me a little bit more about him. There is a picture in the locker room of Jonathan Gannon going like this and flexing and being all excited with Monty Ossonfort and Michael Bidwell in the back all happy about the win. And so uh, Cam Cox asked him of 12 News, asked him, hey, we saw a picture of you showing great emotion in the locker room. And what was good? Can you just tell us what was going on? What made you feel that good about this win? And then as he's trying to say a question about the emotion, immediately Jonathan Gannon interrupts him. No emotions in a locker room. <laughs> no, uh, well, I don't know. I don't know what photo it was, but I was probably juiced up for giving the game ball to James, probably is what it was. I don't know. Um, you know, I thought that he played outstanding last night. And... Um, you know, it's every game's the same, but some, you know, kind of burn a little deep. So uh, I was probably excited for him. The picture has Gannon like kind of knees bent a little bit and flexed and going, you know, mouth wide open. So that's why it's oh, no emotion. And then to say that he didn't see the picture, that's maybe not, maybe not. So that's kind of the fun stuff uh this one i really like this this is this is an issue here um bob mcmanaman bobby mack friend of the show arizona republic asked the question that did concern me a little bit because i appreciate a, a coach not trying to hide it that they didn't know something but I would like this to be a bigger issue for the coaching staff and by gannon not knowing the number it concerns me that it's not a big issue. If you don't quite hear Bobby Mack, he's asking about the amount of penalties specifically on the offense. What's your opinion on all the offensive penalties you guys have had? How many did we have yesterday? 60 probably. Yeah, some of it operation, you know what I mean? Some of it uh, technique. Um, always a constant battle to try to play clean football. Okay, you didn't know. That means you don't think it's that big of a problem. Now, I don't expect him to be able to say immediately, yeah, we had nine penalties. You know, that's not the issue. But by not knowing, it shows you he doesn't think it's an issue. And I don't think they've got the offensive talent to be able to looking at first and 15s to find to earn a second and four and boom make it second and nine or second in and 14 because of a procedural penalty or a holding penalty things like that that this offense isn't good enough to overcome that now coming off of a 99 yard drive they look great but that's why it's, it's a strange concern but i don't know how you don't know that now yes He's a defensive head coach. But this is clearly an issue. And if you're the head coach overall, I think you would know that. So that shows you it's not a concern for him right now. I think this is something to keep an eye on in the San Francisco game. 
of whether or not pen offensive penalties are going to occur, and then once they occur, what type of penalties are there? If it's delay of game, that a lot of times means Kyler Murray is confused about something. Not always. It could mean Petzing got the play in late. It could mean when Petzing called the play, they were too slow at being able to move in um, players into uh, or to substitute players with the new packet, whatever personnel package they were in. And then remember the other team, the defense gets an opportunity to sub. And if you know what you're doing as a defense, you can really milk it. I mean, it's incredible. You're the greatest one. I Kenny Dillingham is pretty good at this. Pretty good at this. But Mike Gundy, the head coach of Oklahoma State, even though he's an offensive guru, Oklahoma State is the best team I've ever seen at stalling during a substitution. You might not know this. The defense, if they take too long to sub, they can get hit with a delay a game. So when you're watching a game, college football, they have a, what's called a center judge who's standing right in the way of the center saying you can't snap it yet because we're allowing the defense to sub. So whenever you put in a substitution personnel package, You'll see a referees, the referees will go like this, and, uh, and an umpire in NFL or a center judge in college football will run in and block the snap, and they'll allow the defense to substitute. Then the defense sees the personnel package, and then they sub. If they take too long, they, they get three seconds not to sub, but to make a decision, are you going to sub? Then one guy runs in, one guy runs out. Okay. Well, what Oklahoma State does is they wait the full three seconds to decide, are we going to sub? And then what they'll do is they'll sub one guy. They'll just put in one guy, and it doesn't matter if he already just came out. They're just making sure they're going to take this opportunity to screw up the offense. That one guy will jog in, but nobody on the team tells the next guy who's out. They don't call it out. So you run all the way onto the field and then tap the other defensive lineman, tap the other safety, hey, you're out. Oh, me? Okay. Then that guy turns and he jogs over to the sideline. The whole time this is happening, the play clock is going. So if you as an offense try to sub against Oklahoma State and there's 15 seconds or left on the play clock, you're getting a delay a game or you're calling timeout. There's no other way around it. They're not going to let you get that playoff. They're going to take that much time to pull off their substitution. While on the other hand, you could say Oklahoma State's going too slow and you're allowed to flag them for delay a game and it never happens. I'm bringing this up to you because these are the kind of games that procedural penalties happen. Or Kyler's getting so frustrated waiting on the play clock or waiting on the umpire to move so he can snap it that he's not really focused on his pre-snap reads. Things like that happen. So that's what Jonathan Gannon's talking about when he talks about procedural penalties. And there's another one that they've been getting away with a lot lately. I've been noticing the Cardinals having what I would say is a legal procedure. This is always up to referee's determination. But you can't have an ineligible receiver on the end of the line of scrimmage. 
you have to have a receiver on the end of a line of scrimmage unless you see a guy come running in and he goes like this. And if you're just watching, if you're not watching me right now, what this is, is I'm shaking my hands up and down in front of his jersey number. And that's telling all referees, I'm now an eligible receiver. I'm fully aware I have an ineligible number. So then the referee announces 76 reporting is eligible, 76 reporting is eligible. That's an announcement to the defense to understand, hey, this guy's going to be allowed to catch it. Don't just look at his jersey number and decide not to guard him. It does happen a lot. But that's kind of the ins and outs of what he's talking about with that penalty versus holding penalties come in all kinds of varieties offensively. It might mean you're just not good and you're going up against a guy that's a lot better than you. And you keep getting beat and the only way around it is holding. Sometimes it's technique. You get lazy. You don't block with your feet. You're not moving in front of the guy because everybody latches on and holds right here. That's not holding when you're holding both arms out in front of you. As long as, an easy way to know this, elbows and hips. Keep that in mind. Anytime your elbows are basically straight above your hips, you're allowed to hold. It's, it's, it's not a hold. It's just you're allowed to do that. What happens is, is as soon as a play goes to the outside, the defensive player wants to get off of the block and go outside. And if he does it before you're ready, you end up like this. Now you're still holding the guy, but your elbows are not above your hips anymore. They're out to the side. That's now an official hold. And as soon as you're grabbing on like that, you'll see defensive guys go, all of a sudden they're Brazilian soccer players. Okay, it's crazy. 300-pound men, the fastest way to make them fall down is as soon as an offensive lineman reaches to grab them. Then they all fall down and act like they're going to die and they got shot by a sniper so they can get the holding penalty. So... Those are those types of holds. And other times it's just crap happens. You might be having a great game and you just get beat on one play. And that's life. And you got to suck it up. DJ Humphreys will hold any time somebody gets close to Kyler Murray. Speaking of DJ Humphreys, he's not having a great season, in in my opinion. Um, He doesn't get beat every play, but he's, uh, he's really below average to me. And... Early in his career, he was just playing bad. Then he moved up to not elite, but really good. And then I don't know if it's injuries or that he's never really come through. I don't know if he's a little out of shape. I don't know what the issue is, but I don't think he's having a great year. All right, that's Cardinals. I want to get into a little bit of baseball, and then I got a lot of college for you today. This is a story I don't know enough. If this is an an area of expertise for you, I would love for you to engage in Town Hall Tuesday. I don't know a lot about the Japanese culture, but what little I do know is it's, I don't know if secretive sounds rude, but it's unbelievably private. It's a society that totally believes that keep things away from everybody else. This is my business. According to two members of the media, now I don't, I don't have a source within a Major League Baseball team that has told me this, so I want to be fair. But according to sources I have in the media, that's not really a source, to be honest. I'm just telling you, it's basically a friend who you text. Hey, is this true? Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. Okay. Well, that's not a source because it's what he heard. It's hearsay. But I'm just telling you is that when Shohei Otani meets with people, he only has three people on his team. It's his agent his personal interpreter, and him. A lot of players don't do that. A lot of players are not involved in the meetings. Shohei Otani is involved in every meeting, 
and he's setting up where he wants to go. The agent sets up the meeting. And one of the elements of the meeting is they never want to hear in the media about the meeting. Supposedly, if Shohei Otani finds out that you've released information to the media, then it might knock you off the list or way down the list. So reports came out that he really, really liked Toronto. Then reports came out that he went to Dunedin, Florida, which is where the spring training home of the Blue Jays is, and met with the Blue Jays there. So that got out that he had a meeting. Well, okay, if it's truly secretive, what does that do for the future of Otani? So that's where that story ended. Then yesterday at the baseball winter meetings, Dave Roberts, the manager of the Dodgers, was asked about Shohei Otani. And he said, oh, yeah, you know, Shohei Otani is a great player. We know he loves Southern California. We almost got him when he was originally posted, uh, but uh, we didn't have the designated hitter at the time. So, you know, they, they spoke about how he did like the L.A. Dodgers but wanted to be able to DH. So they didn't get him. Now he was asked, has he met with Otani? And Dave Roberts said yes. <laughs> and they started talking about the meeting. He goes, I'm not going to get into what happened at the meeting. But, you know, to answer your question, honestly, we met for about two or three hours at Dodger Stadium. And you know, they had a whole bunch of questions. The reason why I'm bringing this up to you is, on the one hand, I do want to credit Dave Roberts for being that honest. You're asked a question, did you meet with Shohei Otani? And he says, yes, we did. Okay. But... Otani has said, according to people in the media, do not talk about the meeting. Don't say where I've met. And the Dodgers did. Now, 99 times out of 100, not every time, but I'm talking to you 30 years in the media, I can tell you this is how it works. You normally, people leak stuff to me a lot of times when it's not going to happen because they want you to know we tried. What I mean by that is, if the Dodgers aren't going to get Shohei Otani, then they want their fan base to know we're in it. We've met with them. That way, you might consider buying season tickets because they met with them. And, and when I say you, I mean if you're a Dodger fan. This is how you know, this works through the media. And then if he goes somewhere else, it's hot that we can at least say, hey, we were in. We were right there. Now, to me, I was always thinking, why do you want everybody to know you can't close? You know, I kind of felt like that. You weren't able to close the deal, so why should you get credit for it? But teams want you to know we're all over different scenarios. This is the one time, though, I really don't know what's going to happen. Why did Dave Roberts come out and admit they've met with him, knowing that could cost them? Does he believe the meeting went so well that it's not going to cost them? Did he feel like I didn't do anything wrong? I just said, yes, we met with him, and that didn't violate my agreement with Shoei. I, it's just a weird story. So now I'm really interested in whether or not Otani becomes a Dodger or a Blue Jay based on the reports about Otani not um, wanting any of his meetings to be going public. Uh, another thing baseball-wise that you might not know, Cleveland won the draft lottery. This was a draft lottery year. The Diamondbacks have two picks in the first round. Now, this is going to sound weird. They picked number 31, and there are 30 teams in baseball, but it's still considered a first-round pick. World Series loser picks 29th, Diamondbacks. World Series winner picks 30th, Texas Rangers. 
Then, still in the first round, technically, they say, okay, who are the two teams that had a player in the top 100 of the MLB pipeline rankings that won a Rookie of the Year award? If you did that, they want to reward the franchise in honor of the Players Association. It was part of the agreement in the last CBA that, hey, we are tired of you holding back the Chris Bryants of the world, the Randy Rosarinas of the world, and fighting against. I don't think Randy was held back. It was somebody else for the Blue Jays, or excuse me, for the Rays, and I just forgot that you, we hold back for service time reasons. Because you don't become a free agent until you have six full years of service time. So what a lot of teams used to do, or some still do, they won't let you play until late May as a rookie. Because then you don't get a full year of service time in your first year. So you're still playing six years at the Major League Baseball level, but you only get credit for five and a half of service time, meaning you're no longer eligible for free agency. It's really a sham, and it shows an organization that doesn't really want to win now. You know a team is borderline tanking when they do that. The Diamondbacks fit the criteria of a team that is calling up a player, allowing them to play, and baseball wants to reward that. So base, so the two teams that did it were the Diamondbacks and the Orioles. Royals are... Did I say Royals? The the Baltimore Orioles. So both teams did it. So since the Orioles have a better record than the Diamondbacks, they draft after the Diamondbacks for the Rookie of the Year award. So it goes World Series loser, Diamondbacks at 29, World Series winner, Rangers at 30. Then worst record out of a team that had a Rookie of the Year candidate win the award, Diamondbacks at 31. Best record of a team. So now Orioles at 32. I would love for you to tweet me, text me, and say thank you. Or, Doug, you are the most boring guy I've ever heard. <laughs> I don't know if you care about, oh, Diamondbacks pick 31. Now I know why. I, maybe that was dumb and boring, but I always want to give you as much information as I can and let you know what's going on in the baseball winter meetings. And then coming up at the end of the week or next week, We'll get somebody on to talk specifically about what happened at the baseball winter meetings, both from a Diamondbacks perspective, and we'll talk a little national baseball that's going on in uh, in Nashville. All right, coming up next, this, if it goes badly, could basically be the end of ASU as an upper-tier athletic university and U of A. I'm not going to say it's a state in crisis. I don't want to over-dramatize this because I don't know where it's going to go. But an announcement was made yesterday that runs totally counter to everything Dr. Crow stands for. So is he going to leave? Is he going to change? Or is he going to bring down Arizona State? That's next. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on WTSMTV.com. Burrito Express started with my father about 25 years ago. He got laid off and decided that he needed to do something to provide for his family. My brother and I were older teens, 17, 18 year old, and I'm gonna do a trial out of my house. So literally we decided we're gonna start out of his house. So we delivered uh, menus in a square mile area, literally started delivering burritos out of our home in Mesa, Arizona. And after about a month, he said, let's do this. Went and found his first location. And believe it or not, that's how it started. We started with one location back in 1995. Now we're where we are now it's big it's juicy it's meaty get your burrito at burrito express 
if you're having a hangover, a bad day, even a good day, still get your burrito at Burrito Express. It will make you feel better. There's something strange going on in the NCAA, and I guarantee you nobody is going to attack this topic from these two points of view. That either makes me brilliant or an idiot. You decide after you hear it. And, uh, and then we'll kind of watch what transpires from this point forward. But there is the guy that's in charge of the NCAA. His name is Charlie Baker. And Charlie Baker issued a letter in which he said, this is the direction that we're going to go in the future, or at least the strong suggestion of this is where I'm thinking that is the best way to go. And then we'll we'll see where it goes. And immediately after doing that, the Ohio State Athletic Director tweeted out how much he agrees with the decision of going this way. Now, I can tell you being in the media as long as I have, that's coordinated. Okay, doesn't mean that the AD is lying. It just means since you know he agrees with you, you tell him when you're tweeting that out, and then this guy tweets out, oh, yeah, you're, you're nails. You're exactly right, so he can show support. But what he wants to do is he is proposing that in the NCAA they have an in-house NIL. So no longer is your name, image, and likeness up to you as an individual to go up to a business and ask to be part of an NIL. Or no longer do you have these collectives. And and for ASUs, there's the Sun Angel Collective. So you as a business say, I am interested in supporting an ASU athlete, signing them to an NIL deal, and I'm giving you the money to create this opportunity. And then the money is pooled together, and then they assign players a dollar figure. They assign players businesses and, and things like that. And you know what? Having said that, um, I should have on the Sun Angel Collective uh, director. Uh, I'll have her on to kind of explain how the Sun Angel Collective works right now. So even if you're a U of A fan and you hate the idea, please listen to that conversation anyway. And I, I, I didn't say I had it. She doesn't even know I exist. But I'll reach out to her and we'll get her on. And that way, we can kind of learn how it works for just about every collective. Having said that, he wants to create a new NCAA subdivision. It's almost like a reverse salary cap in which you will say, okay, if you want to be competing at the highest level of NCAA sports, every athlete has to be eligible for at least a $30,000 NIL deal. So take every sport, get it 30000 And if you do that, you're now competing at the highest level. And if you can't get there for every athlete on campus, doesn't mean somebody can only sign a $30,000 deal. You can sign any player to a $2 million deal if you want to. Knock yourself out. But each one has to be able to be given a 30000 NIL deal. If you can't reach that number, then there'll be staggered levels. So that means... I'm now not joking about my beloved school, but a school like Ohio University is no longer going to be highest level division one. What we don't know is does that mean the Cinderella stories of the NCAA tournament are gone 
how many different subdivisions are allowed into the basketball NCAA tournament. Right now, there's a rule in college football at the highest level, which what we used to call Division 1A, which is now called the FBS, which is you have to get to six wins and be at least 500 to go to a bowl game. However, if you play two teams that are FCS, you can only count one of those wins. So only one win per year. So U of A, for an example, they beat NAU at the beginning of the season. That counts as a win towards bowl eligibility. But if they would have played another FCS team, they, they could only count one of the wins in order to be bowl eligible. Their record would still be the same. But their bowl eligibility record would be minus one of the two wins as long as they won both games. So that's kind of an important point of how many subdivisions are you going to get? How's that going to affect your bowl standing? How's that going to affect basketball? Okay, now here are the two points on that after I've explained the way they want this to work. Number one, this runs so counter to what Dr. Crow wants from athletics. What is he going to do? I mean, is Dr. Crow going to be in charge when ASU drops a level? Because do you really think ASU is ready to be able to pay every athlete on campus $30,000 and stay at the same level of the Ohio States, the Texas, the USC, blah, blah, blah? Are they going to do that? I don't know. But that, that's not what Dr. Crow wants. So you have that issue. So he would either have to leave he would have to change or he would have to allow ASU to be dropped a tier. The second question becomes, does it matter? I mean, does, what does it really matter if you drop a tier? How does that affect you? If you're still eligible for the NCAA tournament, well, then it probably doesn't matter. It just means you're never going to compete for a national championship in football and probably never compete for a national championship in basketball. But I mean that more on the court. You would still have the opportunity to compete. But you would be so far behind getting the best athletes that that's it's, it's the competition that makes it almost impossible, not the rules, if you're not willing to play ball at that level. Then you look at U of A. Boy, U of A is in a mess. Dr. Robbins has to meet with the Board of Regents coming up uh, at least between now and December 15th. Okay, so he's got about a week and a half. He's got to explain to the Board of Regents how there's a two hundred and forty million dollar kind of miscalculation of funds. He admitted that the athletic department has taken out eighty seven million dollars worth of loans from the academic parts of the colleges. When you give grants and aid, which is what officially scholarships are called, you're really paying for tuition out of your athletic funds for those athletes. And if you can't afford it, now you're taking out loans to pay for it. So he said, boom, 25% upcharge on all tickets. And there's going to be some gutting of the athletic department. I think there's going to be a big issue coming up from U of A. I don't know what's going to happen. But you've got to give Jed Fish a raise. You have to do whatever you can to keep Jed Fish. If you care about being serious about football. But imagine the PR hit U of A is going to hit when they're cutting a bunch of staff from the athletic department and then paying the head coach all this money. That's, gonna, that's not going to look good. And then somebody is going to ask the head coach, hey, how do you feel about getting a $1 million raise when other people can't even be paid 60000 
you know, that, that question's going to come up. So you're going to have that drama that goes on. Now, one more opinion on this. Uh, going back to the, I wanted to make it local first and then going back to the situation. The rule from this president, this idea, this subdivision, it's kind of crazy because of all the legal hoops they're going to have to jump through. You have to pay every athlete the same. A lot of people don't understand this. Before the Supreme Court ruled on the paying of college athletes, it was never illegal to pay a college athlete. It was never illegal. The rule was, however, you had to pay everybody on campus. If you're in, if you're in the Army, and I mean the United States Military Academy, the actual Army, the college, you get paid. That's a job. So you're getting paid, but everybody, so those athletes get paid, but every student on campus get paid. So that's why that was legal to receive a benefit because it's no different. You can't separate the student athlete from the student. Then through a series of lawsuits, it became athletes can get paid. And think about how divided our country is right now. And there's no more division in our country than the United States Supreme Court. I'm not telling you which way you should go on the U.S. Supreme Court. Okay, that's that's your opinion. But I can tell you this, whenever they vote nine to nothing, it's a punch in the face. I mean, it's like, wow, you got those nine people to agree and they had a nine nothing vote that slaughtered the NCAA a couple years ago that started all of the NIL situations. And the NCAA is so scared of losing antitrust lawsuits that they just backed away and said, okay, fine, everybody else run it. We're not going to touch it. The reason why is if you ever lose an antitrust lawsuit, let's say the damages are you know, $15 million for, for losing the lawsuit. Okay. But since it's antitrust, they triple the damages every time. Triple the damages. So your $15 million loss becomes a $45 million loss. The NCAA doesn't want to mess with that. So they just got out of it. So they have to come up with a system that follows along Title IX rules of paying every player, no matter the gender, the exact same amount, or you're violating Title IX. And at the same time, making sure they don't violate a court case in which the U.S. Supreme Court said, you can't do it this way. Here's why I'm laughing. I am not a lawyer, but I do play one on the radio, and I don't even mean that as a joke. When I read through what Charlie Baker is proposing, you're still capping the earnings. He said, no, we're not. No, we're not. You got to get to at least 30000 but we're not capping it. Well, you've said the money has to go into a trust fund that's controlled by the school. Are you really going to set it up that the player has access to their money whenever they want? I still hear trust fund and I hear you blocking a little bit of the money or you not allowing somebody as an individual to go to Burrito Express and say, I want to offer you my endorsement for this amount of money. Because if you're saying the NIL deals have to run through the school, you're now infringing on the right of the individual to sell their own name, image, and likeness. And the only way to do that, in my opinion, my, work, my bad legal knowledge, is to have the whole thing collectively bargained. And the only way you can collectively bargain this is if you consider the player's employees. 
And now you've got minimum wage issues. Now you've got workman's comp issues. Now you've got different HR issues. You're going down a legal slope. I'm going to look you right in the face right now as a non-lawyer and say there is no way the Supreme Court would accept a trust fund as a legal way for colleges to control NIL. There's no way. So this is, it's like, it's not a bad idea if you're just looking at it from the standpoint of college sports, but it makes me laugh for two reasons. One, the changes Dr. Crow would have to embrace and how bad ASU will look if they don't, because they've already looked terrible a couple years ago when the president said, we're not going there. This isn't the right way. We're not going to fall into the NIL trap. And then every recruiting uh, coach in every university elsewhere would go to their recruit and say, well, ASU doesn't, they don't believe in this NIL stuff. So you're not going to be able to go there and make money. <laughs> so the kid's like, all right, I'm not going to ASU. And then Dr. Crow acquiesced once Kenny Dillingham got here. Oh, I kind of screwed that up. He didn't say that, but that's exactly what happened. So you've got to have Dr. Crow change dramatically. Everybody's going to change to fit this college model. If it happens, someone's going to sue. And <clears throat> there goes the voice. And Brett Kavanaugh of the United States Supreme Court is going to smack everybody back down. And after you've changed everything, they're going to lose in the Supreme Court. So, I, I mean, this is a circle with right now a perfect circle with no end. Uh, Steve McCollum's coming up from 8 to 10 here on WTSMTV.com. And every weekday morning, we like to catch up with him and figure out what's going on for his show and figure out uh, how his day was. Steve, first of all, hi. Secondly, obviously, the national controversy. Are you cold? That is a thick coat right there. A little, a little wool in it, you know? A yeah. Wool. It's a little chilly outside still. Okay. Um, I, I got to ask, the nation that cares about the NBA is talking about the last minute of Suns-Lakers. Mm-hmm. Some people on the East Coast waking up and seeing it. Yeah, what did was, you think? That was late. Uh, Russ was made late. bad calls, 100%. Welcome to the NBA, folks. Breaking news right here on the crossover. NBA <laughs> refs uh, make bad calls a lot at the end of games. They have a two-minute report that they put out the next day saying all the mistakes that referees made in the NBA. Folks, this isn't a surprise. Welcome to the NBA, everybody who's just tuning in. (laughs) Uh, But you can't blame the referees when you don't show up to a game. You're disinterested in being there for the first half. Uh, You refuse to play, you know, in the first half. You get in foul trouble, uh, you know, which alters the game. You can't blame the referees when you put it in the referee's hands in order for you to win it uh, by not showing up. I totally agree with you. I am just one where I have always separated the three teams. I rip refs, but saying it in a way that says, it doesn't matter, play your game. Yeah. You know, It's your job to do your game. Yeah. But the NBA, if they thought that was acceptable, and it's not even the timeout thing. I mean, the timeout thing was bad, well, but I kind of see that call. And, and I, I've got a different angle on that. Okay. I'm going to save it for my show. Okay. But uh, you're, you're forgetting something. Uh, you're right on that timeout, except for referees are lying, and I have proof of it. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yes, so yes. I'll be, I'll be, uh, yeah, we're going to start with that on top of the show. So stay tuned. <laughs> uh, you know, you, uh, referees flat are lying. Um, and, uh, I'll, I'll, I have the proof of it after the game. Wow. Am I interested? Cause uh, I don't like to like go that. there, but if yeah. I can't wait to see the proof. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I, I talked about this in college football, right? Controversial yeah. call in high school. Like you see the foul. You call the foul. Yeah. You don't see the foul, you don't call the foul. A lot of times referees guess or, quite frankly, just make it up. They yeah. see a guy fall and they're like, oh, 
in the NBA especially. Yeah. That's why flopping's so prevalent. That's why they get away with it. Is a ref sees LeBron James headcock back and go flying across the floor with nobody around him, he doesn't care. Yep. He just sees LeBron goes. And that's not the way you're supposed to officiate these games. I have only rec- uh, refereed uh, – I mean, I've refereed a ton of sports, but as far as the level, the highest level of basketball I got was just a recreational league. So I, I never even did junior high games. Yeah. But I do admit it took me a while. I blew some things early on in doing it where you do assume – it's a, here comes a breakaway. Yeah. This is going to be a foul. And yeah. the guy that has two fouls already, <laughs> that's kind of a goof. Yeah. He's kind of a goon. You assume he's going into foul. Yeah. And as soon as they go up, you blow the whistle. And then you realize he hit all ball. <laughs> yeah. Like he did nothing wrong. Yeah. And you've you, already blown the whistle. You can assume on some things, like yeah. uh, if you swipe at a ball and the ball goes down, you can assume it was all ball. Mm-hmm. because And if you hit a guy and the ball goes up, you can assume that it was a foul because the physics tells you that that's right? fair yeah so yeah. you can you can assume on that stuff but uh just the amount of assumptions with the nba referees and i'm not in an uproar over it because now if the suns played a really good ball game from start to finish and lost yeah, it because of fair. ref calls okay then we can look at the refs and go this cost the suns this game which happens a lot. yeah the first half was unwatchable yeah i started doing stuff for the show i've never done before i made a top 10 nfl list uh today <laughs> that i that i put together that we're going to talk about i never do that stuff but that's how boring that game was and how bad the Suns played in the first half when you say well let's go there when you say top 10 is it top 10 teams or the top top 10 10 teams right now going into week 14 name the top 10 teams because I'll tell you you're going to struggle with eight nine and ten if not earlier there's so much bad football this year I can give you five without thinking about it but I would have no idea who number six is you say it might be eight nine ten yeah yeah, I, I would struggle. I went a lot back and forth. Do I put Cleveland? Oh no, they suck now. They sucked <laughs> over the weekend. You know, do you put Jacksonville in? Well, they're losing Christian Kirk for eight weeks. Yeah, uh, and then who knows? The quarterback he's going to try to play in a short week, but it's high ankle sprain. Good luck, right? Yeah, that was a bad. Uh, you know, you've got all these Texans. Oh yeah, but they're up and down, right? It's yeah. just like you, to get to ten teams to rank your top ten teams right now. Uh, I wish you luck because I struggled with it last night. And I know that you know this, but in case anybody in the unplugged army doesn't know, when you hear Hear Steve say, I'm struggling finding 10 teams. There are 14 that make the playoffs. Yes. <laughs> if yes. you can't even find 10. A team from the <laughs> NFC South is going to make the playoffs this year. And if they're seven in whatever, I'll be shocked. Here's a rule I have wanted to see changed <laughs> forever. Okay. And it drives me oh, nuts that don't it hasn't been I accept oh. totally. If you win your division, you're in the playoffs. Okay, yeah. I totally accept that. I you know, yeah. you win your division, it, it's it's three teams, you're playing them six games. Yeah. Okay, you get in. I have never understood, though, why that guarantees you home field advantage. Why yeah. isn't it top four teams in first place make it, top three teams of the wild card make it, and then after we've got you one through seven, now let's go by record of who gets home field advantage. Well, so if you win your division, like you're kind of suggesting, with possibly an 8-9 record, yeah. that doesn't mean you get a home game. Yeah. It's just you're in. No, you got to have a you, – you win your division, you got to get penalty. As a Cardinals fan who in 2008, the worst playoff team ever that went to the Super Bowl, right, um, you, know, you, you got to get credit for winning your division. So you're in. You get credit. No, no. You, you got to get, get the home, home game. game, man. That's the whole point of winning your division is to have home field advantage. And what it really changes, and here's – Here's another reason why. 
I will always say the reason why they went to the Super Bowl. Okay, granted, it had a lot to do with Jake Delhomme throwing five picks in game two of that well, playoff. It had to do but, with the uh, the Falcons fumbling the football yes, left and right. But uh, in, in the first game, game three of the playoff, yeah. if you remember the weekend that Jake Delhomme threw all the picks, yeah. there was an Eagles-Giants game that was enormous. Yes. And the Eagles clearly had this attitude. The Eagles were underdogs, Because I think they were 0-2 against the Giants that year. Yes, they were and underdogs. And they beat the Giants, and now it was like, we've arrived, we're going going to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Everybody knows the Cardinals stink. Yeah. And they came out here and got Blitzkrieg. I don't remember the records, but I would have to assume if you would have gone by seed of the records and not oh, gone Eagles. by division, it would have been the Cardinals the would have been in Philly. Yeah, because the Eagles were the uh, wildcard team. Yeah. Now, maybe they still would have laid an egg. I, I don't know. No, there's, there's no doubt that uh, Cardinals home field advantage that year helped them, but that's oh, the that argument. They crowd. won their division. They did what they needed to do win the division. You get the home field. Even the Falcons came in here and thought, oh, this You're is right. the worst team ever. Uh, we're going to come here and win. And the Cardinals just spanked them. In the, uh, you know, you can, you can give credit to them. Uh, but don't forget, too, that was an Andy Reid Eagles team. That guy didn't win anything there. <laughs> that's, that's still the weirdest thing <laughs> because you can – now, granted, Mahomes is really good. Well, it was that offense. But, like, I'm a big Donovan McNabb fan, but that offense was a college offense. And uh, I think it struggled in, the, in that playoff situation. What I never understood with Andy, because he clearly gets it now, as great as Mahomes is, they run the ball a lot. Oh, in, no, they ran the ball. Then they, they were the first to do that RPO, if you remember, yeah, with McNabb. And in yeah. Philly, they, they never ran. It was always Donovan McNabb with like 43 attempts every game. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, but that I was bet that McNabb RPO. would be a good quarterback if, if he would have just yeah. had like 25 he, attempts or 20 attempts. He'd be under center, and then he'd step out, and he'd do that fake handoff. Right? Everything was yeah. play action. Uh, it was a You're weird right. gimmicky offense, and it was, just, it was just a weird all-around offense, and that's why you couldn't get over the top with it. Uh, like you said, even with T.O., you know, everybody blames T.O. for why they didn't win that Super Bowl, but, uh, you know. For, for the horse collar tackle. Yeah, but, I bet so. Actually, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, I blame T.O. for everything except that Super Bowl. He actually played know, really well. Uh, I blame T.O. just because he looked like he did. Like, that should be illegal. <laughs> All right, that. okay, we got top 10 NFL and the struggles uh, after top five, basically. Yeah. We got Suns, Lakers, but, anything else But even up? then, uh, rank your top five, rank, well, besides uh, what, the big what, guy. What year are you guys living in for crying? <laughs> hey, back in 1992, yeah. I won a Super Bowl. So, yeah, that's what I was just going to say. That guy, all he does is talk about a Super Bowl wins. Yeah. Uh, but even then, your top five that you have, uh, what order do they go in? That's even harder yeah, yeah. Than to do. So it's coming up. There's no reason that Steve McCollum of the main event needs to think about this now. But at some point, boys, at some point, in the next two hours. I would like to know Dale Hellestray's plans this evening. I would like to know Dale Hellestray's plans. And the reason why is very simple. If my beloved Ohio Bobcats were within a 100-mile radius of Phoenix, Arizona, I'm there, okay? The Bobcats had a football game in San Diego this year. I'm there. SMU is at... ASU tonight. I want to know if the old man's going. I hope Steve talks to him about that. Because, hey, you, you've got to be, you've got to be in on that. Don't worry, old man, about the 8 o'clock tip time. It's all right. It's all right. You've got to go see your alma mater. And, oh, by the way, I bet there's good seats still available. <laughs> 
Uh, that's the end of the laughing right now. Because of because of last night. There might be another reason why I'm a little pissy with the refs. I had the Suns on the money line last night. I told you I don't even need the point and a half Vegas wanted to give me with the Suns. I didn't think Nurkic would outplay Anthony Davis, but I thought Nurkic would play. I thought he would play. He was terrible. Suns lose 106-103. I get that game wrong. And then I got nobody to blame for my other game. I went 0-2 last night. And that's just simply a bad pick. That's just, I mean, when I say a bad pick, that means I was ignorant in thinking I had knowledge on this game. I really liked, didn't love, but I really liked FAU. I thought they were a better team than Illinois. And I can't even remember, I didn't write it down right. I don't even remember if they were getting two points or, or had to give up two points. But FAU, that was a crazy game. They lose 98-59 to Illinois. They're up, not big, but they're up, FAU is at halftime. They blow the lead, and Illinois is up by a point. And then they come reasonably storming back, and they're up by, I have to look it up, but, but FAU is up by about five with 13 minutes left. From the 13.50 mark until the end of the game, think about that. College basketball, you've only got, you've got less than 14 minutes remaining. Illinois scored, I think it was 45 points. 45 points in 13 minutes. That's impossible to be that bad defensively for that long of a period. I mean, that's a great half. And if you're playing at Virginia, that's a game getting 45 points. They gave up 45 points in less than 14 minutes. And Illinois blitzkriegs them 98-89. Man, was that. That was frustrating. That, I couldn't stand that. All right. Uh, today, we, we've got to get ourselves uh, fighting back a little bit and be able to do something. And tonight, when I looked at the games, there's no NBA games tonight. I'll look at that uh, coming up tomorrow. Uh, it was pretty easy to find a game that I like. I'm going to take the Edmonton Oilers. It's the only game I like. I'm going to take the Oilers on the money line against uh, Carolina. So all I need is the or- uh, is the Oilers to be able to win. I could try to play the puck line, and you get plus 200. I mean, that's fantastic. So you bet 100, you get $200. You're like me. You bet $5, you get 10 You double your money if you think the Oilers are going to win by two or more goals. I'm not going to just step all over Carolina like that, but I like Edmonton, and I'll deal with the minus 125 on the money line. That does it for today's version of Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by the Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Huge thanks once again to Whirlwind and what they did for us for our week of winners, and a huge thanks to you. I'm still blown away by how many of you have looked at Whirlwind Plus. We've sold over 100 Whirlwind Plus packages. The reason why that means a lot to me, number one, that goes to exactly what we've talked about. If you're not supporting the sponsors of WTSMTV.com, and that's your right, it's our job to convince you that these are good people and this is a place to do and the value is there. That is our job. But if you're not making it a point to at least look into it, then why would somebody want to advertise with us? And if they don't want to advertise with us, guess what? Then we, we don't survive. We're not here. So for you to do that, I appreciate 
appreciate it more than I could ever explain. And I really value your opinion. I think this is a great value. Unplugged at whirlwind.com is the website. Unplugged at whirlwind.com. I think it's totally worth it. For only $299 for the year, or if you're a snowbird and you just want to do it monthly, for only $34 a month, you get the lowest rate that day whenever you book your tea time. That means the rate might be 200, let's say it's $210 today if you want to golf at 10 in the morning and there's a tea time there. But if you're a Whirlwind Plus member and the cheapest rate that day is $110, $120 for a two o'clock time, knowing you won't finish before it gets dark, you just say, hey, I'm Whirlwind Plus, and now you get the best tea time that you want that's available. You don't get to kick somebody out of their tea time. But now you get that for the lowest cost. Sometimes you're going to save 60%. So almost every time you're doing this, you're saving at least 20 bucks, sometimes 100. Think about that. So if you're a golfer, it's worth it. And even if you're not a golfer, but you know golfers, just get it for the month of December and January and go in and use the 15% discount you get at both the restaurant Civic and you get at the pro shop. You're going you're gonna to spend at a pro shop easily enough to cover the $34 you spent to get the discount. I think it's totally worth it. Unplugged at whirlwind.com. The official sponsor of Beer Friday is 100 Mile Brewing Company. They're located in Tempe at Scottsdale, Rural, and the 202. Love to see you out there sometime. Great turkey club, I think, in, in my opinion, and uh, really good hamburgers there. So I'll see you there and uh, Beer Friday. We've, we've got the keg over here in the fridge. I meant to ask you, Jeff Beer Production, how the organic football show handled opening up the fridge for beer and seeing a keg in there. <laughs> they had to be jealous they didn't bring a tap. I, I kind of laughed. I that. think they just grabbed a couple of the cans that I, were left. I get it. I get it. <laughs> um, the official sports bar of Doug Franz Unplugged is Rosati's, but only the one at Ray and McQueen in Chandler. The best sandwich in all of the state of Arizona is the National Hot Chicken Sandwich, Bell's National Kitchen. Old Town Scottsdale. I'll be there Saturday from 4 to 10. Please stop by for the Unplugged Holiday Event, the second annual, and the official air conditioning company, Parker & Sons Heating, Cooling, Plumbing, and Electrical. The main event is up next. I'll see you tomorrow.